Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily National Football League podcast. I am Brian Peacock, along with former NFL scout Matt Williamson. You know him from all of his work, his days at ESPN, numerous podcasts, Dynasty Blueprint, and we are almost to the mock draft, the network-wide mock draft, which is going to be Friday. We're not going to do the mock draft Monday. Today, I do want to talk about maybe a mock top five or six, going by some of the rumors we've heard today, Matt. There is some interesting stuff floating around out there. I want to throw it by you, see if it passes the smell test, if we could see a a massive shakeup at the very top of the draft. Today, we will be looking into the NFC South, checking in on those teams post-free agency, and some more of Matt Williamson's positional rankings for the draft defensive tackle group. Today, we will talk about and there are a couple monsters in this class and then after that it gets very interesting so uh, I'm I'm really excited to see what your list looks like with the defensive tackles how things fall after those first couple of players sounds like a plan yeah do it and we'll continue some rankings throughout the week we'll finish up with the NFC and AFC West the next couple of days as well before we get ready for Friday's kickoff of that locked on podcast network mock draft special okay Matt Here's what we're hearing. This is from Armando Salguero. He writes for the Miami Herald, and for a month, he continues to double down on it. He says that his sources tell him the Miami Dolphins will make an attempt to trade to number one in the draft. Like, that's going to happen. An offer will be made to the Bengals. And here is where I'm at with the Bengals. So every time we've done a mock draft, every time we talked about it, you're like, okay, thanks for the offer. No thanks. We're drafting Burrow. Let's go. Sure. Jim Nagy adds to this from another angle. And we, we've heard this from a couple of different people. Uh, Matt Miller had some interesting uh, rumors that that came out this week as well. Jim Nagy, who is the executive director of the Senior Bowl, he said on Twitter, if we're the Bengals and the Dolphins offer three first-rounders for number one pick, we take that deal. Joe Burrow's a stud, but since he needs multiple first-round impact-type players, and here's the key to me, he goes on to say, Justin Herbert was awesome on and off the field for the Bengals staff at the Senior Bowl, and they could get him at number five. So if you're the Bengals, if one of two things, if either Joe Burrow says kind of quietly, maybe behind the scenes there's potential, and we've heard that maybe that's something that could happen. I don't think it has happened, but Joe Burrow could say, you know what, I really don't want to play in Cincinnati. Maybe you guys should trade this pick. Or if you're the Bengals, you get that monster offer from Miami, and you really love Herbert, because that's the key. You still have to love Herbert. You know you can get him at five. If you can get Herbert at five, plus three rounders, and you really feel great about Herbert because you spent time with him at the Senior Bowl, and that's a lot of that's that's when teams fall in love with players. We've seen it so many times in the past, and the, the Bengals and the Lions will draft players from their Senior Bowl rosters. I mean, it just happens every single year, and this year, maybe more than ever, teams will want to lean on that type of thing because of the lack of personal visits, and pro days and things like that. So under that lens, do you think it's still at all possible that the Bengals say, you know what, okay, Miami, give us 5 plus 18 plus next year's first plus a couple of seconds, you know, like whatever kind of monster deal, is there a deal that makes sense for you if you're the Bengals in either of those scenarios? Lots to unpack there, and it's funny because I didn't know you were going to ask me this, but I was just thinking about it last night. Like what would it take for me if I'm the Bengals? First, there's that angle you mentioned, the Elway, Eli, I'm not playing for you angle. But he is an Ohio kid, and how well is that going to settle? I mean, I I don't know if that'll happen by any stretch. 
if you're the Bengals, I absolutely think you could get Tua or more likely Herbert at five. And you probably do really like him. Like, I believe that all to be true. You spent the week with him. You watch, you stand right next to him while he's throwing, you know, great pass after great pass. And you think, I can win a lot of games with this guy. So we have a lot of other needs. So at least I guess I'm interested. But for you to get in the door, Miami, you're going to have to say, I want those three first for you to get in the door. I mean, to even sit down at the table with me. It would have to be all three first this year. Or if I'm the Bengals, I say, look, you've got extra seconds. You've got picks next year, too. I would say to the Dolphins, okay, look, I want five and 18 this year. I want whatever first rounder I think could be the highest next year, which would be better than I think what would the 26th pick would be this year. And I want one of your seconds this year or next year or maybe even both. And if you're the yeah. Dolphins, you have all these picks. If you're the Dolphins, I mean, that makes sense. You have two firsts next year. One of those firsts. 5 and 18, you still get to keep 26 this year. You still have a second rounder this year, even if you trade a second this year and a second next year. And if you're the Bengals, you get three firsts. You get two seconds, one this year, one next year, for each first and second rounders, and 5 and 18. It starts to make a little bit of sense if both teams are, are, I mean, if Miami's willing to give that up, and if, and especially if, the Bengals really did fall in love with Herbert at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're the Dolphins... This isn't a massive overpay. I mean, I think that he's one of the better first overall quarterbacks we've seen in a while, you know, since luck, you know, that he's, I'd take him over Baker and I don't know about Kyler, but I'd take him over Baker and Goff and some of those guys. And you, you're going to have cap space going forward to keep enhancing the roster. And you added pieces this, this free agency period. So I would quote over overpay for him, and this neighborhood doesn't sound that crazy that we're talking about. Um, as I said, if I'm the Bengals, for you to walk in the door, you got to assure me that a minimum I'm getting all three this year. But I'm going to counter with something either like you said or the equivalent of and both your seconds this year. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I like the idea of a future first, though. I mean, for sure. And here's a little something, too. I mean, what if you make the deal, you get two firsts this year, a first next year, a second or two sprinkled in or whatever, and you start Ryan Finley all year and you go two and 14 and then you take Lawrence. That's, oh yeah, it, that, that's the other thing is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get how, him next year with all these stud first rounders. How much more valuable are future picks right now than this year's picks? And, and some teams, mm-hmm. I know some teams and some GMs are really going to just not like the lack of preparation and what's happening right now. Maybe some teams feel really good about it and think they even have a competitive advantage because of technology and, and the work they've been able to put in while quarantined in whatever basement they're doing their work in. So, you know, what's really funny, actually, to me, I read this and there's a really good Peter King article that breaks down how specific people in the, uh, in the, the Colts front office are working right now and Chris Ballard is literally in his the basement of his home doing work and it's funny because a lot of football people would make fun of like stat nerds and the pro football focus guys and at home scouts right, right. for working in mom's basement and NFL people are working in mom's basement right now which I think is, is kind of funny that is kind of good <laughs> um, real quick so looking at the rest of the top five or six picks let's say that does happen or doesn't happen with number one or maybe it does so now the Bengals are at five and if you believe all the rumors, it's that the Dolphins have kind of soured on Tua, but that the Chargers love Tua. So that would make sense that 
Tua, you, you don't you don't feel like there's a team that's going to come over the top. So maybe the Chargers don't feel like they even have to trade in that case to go ahead of either Miami or the Bengals to draft Tua. They could just sit at six, still take Tua, knowing that Herbert might be the guy at five for either the Bengals, in this case, if they made that massive trade, or the Dolphins, because it's just there's not a lot of teams you can see getting all the way up. Maybe the Raiders, because they have the two first-round picks. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't think I don't the Patriots are going to come all the way up. They don't even have a second rounder. It's not a Patriots like move to get all the way up into the top five or so. So I think if a massive trade happened at one, I think that would really calm down the trades the rest of the way through the top six picks. And then it can all of these rumors could sort of actually line up. And then Tua goes to the Chargers. Herbert goes five. Here's the other team, though, before them at four with the Giants. Everybody puts offensive tackle in for them right now. The newest rumor is that it's Isaiah Simmons for the Giants, and they would just kick that offensive tackle need down the road. For me, that makes a lot of sense, and I think for a lot of mock drafters, where your mock drafts go wrong is that more teams in the NFL draft by their board in the first round rather than by need, which really shakes up, I think, mock drafts and is why if you pick six or seven right in the first round, you've done an amazing job with your mock draft accuracy. Yeah, and I've thought all along the Giants would either be Simmons or tackle, and I know that they haven't taken a linebacker in the first round since Carl Banks, but it's new people making decisions. They just hired a new coach, and it's a new day and age. So I could absolutely see that as a truth. I also think the Chargers probably can just sit there at six and get a quarterback. Maybe it won't be their quarterback, but they'll get one of the three quarterbacks if that's what they really want to do. Because to your point, I don't see many teams, especially with Indy now traded out of the first round, I don't know who can get in the top six that's there for a quarterback right now. So I think you are a little safer. But to be super safe, I mean, would it cost you much to go from six to three, grab Tua, and maybe it costs you a third-round pick, and it's kind of a Trubisky-like move where you just make sure you get your guy? Mm. Yeah, that would make some sense if, you know, and I don't know if Gettleman's the type to do any little minor moves. I just feel like the Giants don't really move around under Gettleman, but no, I meant, I meant the lions at three oh, for the lions. Sure oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And cause you're still going to get Okuda. Most likely right, you would feel right. really great about that. And at worst, maybe the giants take Okuda and you get Simmons boo hoo. Right. So right, that, exactly. any, any deal that all the way to back to probably pick six, any deal that the lions get, I mean, I'm just taking the best one as long as I don't get, go further than six, probably. Yes. I have one other odd conspiracy theory now that we brought up the Lions, okay. and it's just something I just thought of or had a dream about or who the heck knows. But Belichick and Patricia are tight. What if Belichick traded for Stafford and they just took Tua there? I love it. Stafford's contract makes yeah. me think it's almost not possible because True. it's so right, much yeah. dead money. But I've thought that Stafford to New England made the most sense of any quarterback situation in that trade and the Lions taking quarterback at three. I thought that made most sense out of anything. I just don't know financially it makes sense for the Lions to do. But uh, I've I've liked that all along, if they can make the money work. All right, we've got to... That's fun. I I, I like the conspiracy theory (laughs) stuff. So we didn't do a, a proper mock draft Monday today, but if we're doing a mock based on those rumors, it basically goes trade up for the Dolphins at one. It goes Burrow. Then it stays Chase Young two. Uh, Okuda three, maybe a slight trade up for Tua from the Chargers. There, you go Simmons four to the Giants. You go, uh, you go Herbert. Get Herbert then. Yeah, no, the Bengals get Herbert Bengals if they do the trade Herbert, up, right. and then you've got Tua to the Chargers. So that's that. Works that's for me. We'll do a mock top six there. I think that's not it's not crazy, but probably unlikely. 
save that recording for a couple weeks from okay, now. Yeah. We'll sound like geniuses <laughs> when we nailed it. Yeah, good call. And I will delete it as soon as the draft happens because <laughs> every mock draft is insanely wrong. I, I can't wait to see heads explode when because groupthink sets in and everyone thinks they know exactly what's going to happen. And the draft is always insane, maybe even more insane this year as we watch this thing unfold in a virtual draft world. Okay, we've got to get into the NFC South and we'll talk defensive tackles coming up. All right, Matt, the Atlanta Falcons, they lost a lot more than they gained. One big name that was added to the roster on a one-year deal, Todd Gurley, one year, $6 million. He looks like he's going to get another $11 million, I think, or something like that. He's got money coming from the Rams, too. It's a convoluted oh, yeah, yeah. situation. He's not I think just... it's 6 and 5. He gets 11 total. 11 total, so 6 and 5, yep. yeah. So still a nice payday for Todd Gurley. He gets more than that $6 million he's getting from the Falcons, and he gets to go home and, and play in the state of Georgia. That'll be a fun a year to to follow for Todd Gurley to see where he's at. They added Dante Fowler, edge rusher. He's got a deal three years, $48 million. Tyler Davidson, defensive tackle, three years, $12 million. And they acquired Hayden Hurst in a trade from the Ravens and a ton of departures here. Running backs, Devontae Freeman, Kenyon Barner, uh, Justin Hardy, wide receiver, Austin Hooper signed with the Browns. Tight end Luke Stocker, Ty Sombrello uh, went to the Titans, Wes Schweitzer to the Redskins, so multiple offensive linemen, multiple pass catchers, multiple running backs. On the defensive side, Adrian Claiborne, Devondre Campbell, Vic Beasley, Desmond Trufant, and Jonathan Cyprian all gone. Yeah, I mean, you Hooper leaves for big money, so you trade for Hurst. It's a downgrade, but it's, you know, I mean, it's not crazy. Um, Vic Beasley leaves, so you bring in Fowler. I think that's an upgrade at a, at a more important position in a, an area you really need it. Freeman leaves and you bring in Gurley. It's questionable, but it's not going to hurt you bad if he doesn't play much for you. And I think it's an upgrade. Bring him back to Georgia. Maybe use a third or fourth round pick on a, another running back as well. And in the end, I, I look at this team as much as any as shootout central. I think their offense is going to be really good. I think their defense is going to be really bad. They need guys like Deion Jones to be healthy and Keanu Neal and those type of dudes. And I think they'll draft defense like crazy, but I don't think, I mean, on paper, it looks like they got crushed, but I don't think it's that much different. And whoever they draft at 16 needs to hit the ground running. You see a lot of CJ Henderson there. You see a lot of Javon Kinlaw at 16. They're going to be in position to draft a really good player at 16 overall. One of those top tier blue chippers that we've talked about that there's probably about 16 of them in this draft. So that's a good place to be for the Falcons to get a defender, most likely in round one. This team was basically people thought that the coaching staff was going to get fired midseason. Then they caught a little bit of a hot streak later in the year. Did they do enough here or are they spinning their wheels for that staff to have jobs this time next year? I mean, they didn't know the whole Corona thing was hitting. So I think it's good that they, they kept status quo and give it another shot. They're not that far removed from a Super Bowl, and there are seven playoff teams, so they could be one of them. But I still look at them as probably the number three team in this division. Yeah, this is a tough division right now because one team definitely got a lot better and uh, the Saints aren't going anywhere. Let's go to the Card- or the uh, Carolina Panthers, though, that are in a little bit of a rebuild mode here. They changed quarterbacks. They cut Cam Newton. They traded Kyle Allen, and they signed Teddy Bridgewater, which is the biggest shakeup there for that franchise. Three years, $63 million for Teddy B, getting a, a starting job. Robbie Anderson signs a two-year, $20 million contract. Trey Boston re-signs. Farrow Cooper, one-year deal. 
uh, a, a lot of lower level moves here. Um, they there is the trade with the Chargers, Trey Turner for Russell Okung. I don't know if a lot of these trades have become official official yet because of um, because of the medical. No, good point. Yeah, so I, I wonder if any of these trades could be undone because I think some of them are are not official. But I, I just have no idea how that kind of stuff is going to go because if they're involving draft picks, they have to get done before April twenty third. To hear Whitehead, Stephen Weatherly, P.J. Walker. Seth Roberts, all one-year contracts for, and John Miller, all one-year contracts for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and out goes Cam and Allen, who they traded. In comes Bridgewater and Walker, who I'm really excited to watch Walker in the preseason, actually. But I tend to think that their quarterback of the future is probably in college as we speak. I think the offense has a chance to be pretty good. You add Robbie Anderson, you fortify the line a little, but you know the defense needs everything. I mean, they they are very short i mean keekley's gone davis was gone two years ago it's like kk short and burns and question mark shaq thompson and not much else so uh again like i said with the falcons i would expect a heavy defensive draft for these guys and they absolutely are rebuilding i'm not sure that it's a dolphins browns total tank trade everything you got rebuild but it's their version of it for sure i mean they're, they're switching gears yeah, I didn't mention the defensive side of the ball, the big one being Luke Keekley retirement there. Mario Addison, Vernon Butler, Bruce Irvin, all edge guys gone. Kyle Love, yeah. James Bradbury signed a big deal with the New York Giants. A Cockrell, Eric Reed, Colin Jones. So they're revamping that entire defensive side of the ball, obviously. They have a, um, I don't know if they got rid of Trey Turner. I think that was more of a money deal. I don't think Okung's long-term yeah, tackle, so... You're still looking at offensive line there for them in the draft. They're in a great spot to get a defender, whether it's Derek Brown, whether it's uh, Isaiah Simmons there at number seven. So good spot, but uh, that could be a, a team that could willingly trade down depending on what happens if quarterbacks start to slip. Um, but a definite, definite rebuild there. I don't expect a lot, and this division is going to be tough right now anyway. So now's the time to rebuild and hope to go get that thing after Brady and Breeze are gone. Yeah, and... They wouldn't be too far off my list of best bets to pick first overall. Let's talk Saints. Andrew Brees, he's coming yeah. back. Two-year contract worth $50 million. They lost Teddy Bridgewater, but they're holding on to, they planted their flag basically in Taysom Hill as the backup quarterback. He didn't throw the ball that much last year, but he might get a chance to throw a little bit more maybe this year. They put the first-round tender on him, and nobody's paying that cost to sign him away from the Saints. Malcolm Jenkins is added on a four-year contract, which uh, he's not going to see the fourth year of that contract. There's no, no. way. Uh, $32 million there. And the Saints have been kicking the can down the road as far as contracts go, and they're going to take some hits at some point. I think they're obviously a win-now team, and they're going to worry about that stuff later when Breeze is gone and their window has officially closed. One of the signings I love is Emmanuel Sanders. Two years, $16 million. Give Michael Thomas somebody else uh, to take some pressure off of him in the passing game. Andres Pete, five-year contract with the Saints, $57 million. They added DJ Swearinger and PJ Williams to the defensive backfield on one-year deals. They lost Teddy B, Ted Ginn, AJ Klein, Eli Apple, and Vaughn Bell. Yeah, I did a nice job keeping some of their own, some underrated guys like Andres Pete. David Oliamata, they're both good quality players that you know, they gave him pretty substantial money to. But kind of like you alluded to, I mean, as it has been the last couple of years, this is as much of a win now, aggressive organization as there are as there is in the league right now. 
I mean, they're giving money to Malcolm Jenkins, Janoris Jenkins, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, like that's win now stuff. You know, I mean, these yeah. are older guys, you know, that are, you know, not for the long term. They've been unceremoniously bounced the last two playoffs, but I think any power ranks you find, and if I were to do one, they would be in the top four. I think there's still four top teams in the league, and the Saints are one of them. And they're making Breeze's life a little easier, too. I mean, back to my quarterback chart, they're not making him throw crazy deep downfield, get it out. Um, how about this little nugget? I just saw Pro Football Focus put out their fantasy projections for the year. And obviously, it'll change a lot. The draft doesn't even hit. But they had Kamara as, like, the number one guy total. I mean, he, he projected over McCaffrey, everybody. I was wow. Like, wow. I mean, he was a little banged up last year. I could see that. Yeah, there's more. I mean, just adding Sanders, there's going to be more targets that get taken away from both Kamara or um, or Michael Thomas, especially Thomas. probably hurt Thomas more than, than Kamara as far as fantasy goes. And Kamara was banged up. And I like the bounce back there. I like that bet. And I like the bet that... Like you said, Breeze is going to be getting the ball out quick. And Sanders can uncover quickly. Thomas is really good in the short to intermediate. And, of course, Kamara out of the backfield. So, still, I mean, the Saints got better. They were already one of the best teams Mm -hmm. in the league. And you know who else got better? If nothing else, just because there's a quarterback in-house that's not going to throw 30 interceptions. And that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll talk about them next and defensive tackle rankings. Matt Williamson's defensive tackle NFL draft rankings. Okay, Matt, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How much better did the Bucs get? Not only Tom Brady, so it's a two-year deal, $50 million. We'll see if Tom plays until he's 50. I hope he does. Uh, no risk it, no biscuit with Tom Brady. We'll, we'll be fun. We'll see how that works out. Couldn't be more different style of quarterback than Jameis Winston was for the Bucs. They added Shaquille Barrett. They added Blaine Gabbert, who should never see the field. If Blaine Gabbert's throwing passes for the Bucs, they're in big trouble. Joel Haig, uh, Kevin Minter, Jason Pierre-Paul re-signed for a two-year deal. Dominican Sue brought back on a one-year $8 million contract. And the departures from Tampa Bay, Jameis Winston at quarterback, running back Peyton Barber went to the Skins. Uh, Rashad Perriman went to the Jets. Damar Dotson and Carl Nassib on their way out. So an improved team. They kept a lot of their better players and, of course, added the all-time great in Tom Brady at quarterback. Yeah, I, I want to start with the defense, though, that this was one of the best DVOA defenses in the league last year, but they allowed some of the most points. So they kept status quo. You know, they gave Todd Bowles his guys back, Pierre Paul, Sue, Shaq Barrett. So they didn't go outside the organization much, obviously on the front line. Um, and why that's important is – that defense is trending very much in the right direction. The points allowed didn't show it. So it's a good group. It's a well-coached group. And I mentioned my quarterback chart last segment. Winston was the opposite of Breeze on that chart. Highly aggressive and obviously very volatile player. So if he doesn't put the defense in such bad positions time and time again, the Bucs allow a lot less points and win a lot, le- lot more games. And they won seven last year. So... Brady aside, just cutting down on the mistakes at the quarterback position, if everything holds true and it won't from last year, then that should yield them a couple more wins and make them a playoff contender. As for Brady, I frankly don't know. I mean, I kind of said the same thing with Rivers, that are these guys, how much do they really have left? And going to a new organization, 
without OTAs and minicamp and all the structure Brady's so used to and the Welkers and Edelman's and the playbook that's like a phone book that they just keep adding to year after year. I just don't know that it'll be an obvious smooth change to the scheme and the GOAT and Arians and all that stuff. I can't wait for... But it might. I can't wait for the early arguments and the early hot takes about who was really the key to that Patriots run. Was it Belichick or was sure. it Brady? And after one week, I'm sure if Patriots win or lose and the Bucks win or lose, there'll be some hot takes fired out there about uh, which one really was the most important piece. So uh, I'm excited for that, and I'll probably get very tired of it very quickly soon after that. Um, did they yeah. overtake the Saints is the big question there, and the Bucks to me are a lot like the Steelers. Their defenses were so good last year that kept them in games, kept them near 500 as a team. You plug in a Hall of Fame quarterback, does that put you way over the top? And how much do those two teams improve to a fascinating teams for me in 2020? Okay, we've got to get to your defensive tackle rankings here, Matt. And you've got your top five DTs. And one and two are the same one and two on just about every draft board because they're monsters. Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw. I've seen a couple places that have Kinlaw first for you. What puts Brown over Kinlaw? Yeah, and I think they stand alone. And I can understand the Kinlaw becoming Chris Jones affects the passing game more, it, probably a higher ceiling. I, I could see why someone would take him one. Brown's tape is much, much better, though. I mean, I, I think he's safer. Um, I know that his stock is a little down right now because the combine didn't do him any favors. But if you just go back to the tape, I mean, he might be the second best defensive player in this draft. I mean, Simmons is in that conversation as is Akuda. I mean, he's a great football player. He is, is not a real developed pass rusher yet, but I could see the argument depending what you're after of Kinlaw over Brown. Brown never goes backwards. It's amazing. No. He's such a monster inside, but he's more than just a run defender, too. He can give you a pass rush. He's got that swim move. The scouting cliche dancing bear. He is exactly that. He's got such nimble feet, and he makes plays in the backfield, and he gets after it. Uh, I, I love Derek Brown, and I do have him over Javon Kinlaw by a good bit, but Kinlaw offers a little bit more length, a little bit more linear ability, long arms, could play a little five-tech for you, maybe upside as a pass rusher. He's just not there quite yet as a player. Right. I mean, he's a little raw. Um, he's loads of ability. Um, that His ceiling might be a little higher, although Brown sometimes looks like Reggie White just throwing people <laughs> around out there. I yeah. mean, like, uh, they're both high-level prospects to me. They're both obviously in my top 16 that I talk about a lot. And it wouldn't shock me if they both fell a little, you know, just because – tackles and mm -hmm. some of these wide receivers might just get picked ahead of them and position needs, but they're going to make their respective teams pretty happy. Now, after one and two is where things get interesting. And there's a nice big gap for me between Kinlaw and the next best. And at this point, you're looking at more one dimensional players. You're looking at guys who are interior pass rushers, three techniques, but might get tossed around in the run early in their career. And then you've got a few guys later in the draft that might be more stout nose tackles your next three players how much separation is there between three ross blacklock from tcu jordan elliott from missouri at four and marlon davidson from auburn at five those are all more of the pass rushing undersized athletic under tackles yeah i kind of look at it this way that there's the top two gap blacklock probably about an equal gap then 
okay. four or five guys that are all in the same neighborhood. I had a hard time narrow it down four and five. I thought Blacklock was clearly three just because of the explosion. I mean, and the potential Geno Atkins factor where Elliot Davidson, uh, Matabuke, some of these other guys around Neville Gallimore, they were all kind of in the same bin for me as four through six, seven ish. Ross Blacklock was an interesting one because the more I watch him, the the less I like him in a weird way because, and I agree with you, I'd probably put him at number three because of his athletic ability, the way he flies out of his stance and, and he's yeah. got some juice. I was blown away. I went, I looked at his stats. I was like, oh man, this guy probably had 10 sacks. He had three sacks last year. I know. And I, I was know. watching him play and I was thinking, how is someone this active? Because you see him, he shows, he doesn't disappear. Yeah, 6'3", 290 pounds, someone that active, I was thinking. And occasionally he shows strong hands, but then occasionally I'll see him get knocked around in the run game. And that's why he started to to slip a little bit. I was like, okay, wait, why did he only have three sacks? I watched him more and more, and he was active, but he was almost active to his detriment. Like, get home, you know, get to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. That's the end result. He showed off athletic ability, but didn't get home enough for me to be like, okay, this guy is a slam dunk first round pick for me. And then I started to see him get knocked around in the run game a little bit more. He's only 290 pounds. So sub package player for me early, maybe, which is why I don't like him as much as a slam dunk first rounder. But after that top 16 players, I don't know. Guys could go in any order, so I wouldn't be surprised if he slips into the first round. It sounds like maybe you have more of a solid first round grade on him, but to me, most of these tackles mm-hmm. after the first two, I feel much better about him in round two than the end of round one. I would say I have more of a top 40 grade on him. I mean, I, if I would probably do a coin flip if he ends up in the first round or not. Wouldn't be critical of a team, but to your point, I hope they have a D tackle or two already in place and can bring them along a little slower and situational, rotational. Um, Elliot, I liked him. I, I just thought he was very solid all around and doesn't just burst off the scene, but he got a lot of attention and people were, you know, blocking schemes to slow him down and he still was pretty darn good, but I don't, I'm not doing cartwheels for him. And then Davidson's really interesting in that he was basically a stand-up outside linebacker or an edge player, <laughs> crazy. but he's 305 pounds now. So I had to put him with the DTs. Michael Bennett or somebody like that. But a lot of those guys don't work out in the league. Odd player. I called him a stand up yeah. defensive tackle because I don't know yeah. where do you even play him I, on, on rundowns. I could see him having a role where he plays as an end early downs Base four three over yeah. the tight end, you and know, then, right. And then jumps inside and rushes from the interior, but he's actually flexible. Like I saw him win around the corner as a stand up yeah. pass yeah. rusher at Auburn, but he's 300 pounds. I don't see any teams out there saying, yeah, we're going to line this guy, this guy up as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Um, but it he can't drop. Yeah, so he's a weird player, and I think some teams will really like that about him. Some teams will think, I don't know what the heck to do with this guy, but 4-3, rushes from outside on early downs, more of a run defender as an end, and then kicks inside and maybe move him around and use him in a bunch of different ways. And I would think that his athletic ability would play well over guards on passing downs, but you wouldn't want him inside on first and 10. Yeah, and I don't know who the other D tackle is that played next to Brown at Auburn was, but my hunch is he's pretty good. And if those two weren't there, Davidson maybe would have been a D tackle yeah. since day one and played at 300 pounds or over that, then we'd have a better feel for him. But they found a way to get him on the field. He does have some versatility, um, but there's some risk there too. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what you do with them down after down. Most of these guys, I wouldn't be shocked if they went 
in round one in the twenties, and I wouldn't be shocked if they went in round three. I just I just don't know how teams are going to yeah. look at him because there's a lot of one dimensional rushers, and every team's probably going to have these guys. You you mentioned Matabuike and Neville Gallimore, uh, Davin Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Raquan Davis, who's a monster underachiever at Alabama. There's just so many guys that could go in almost any order on the interior defensive line. Yeah, and there's some depth. I mean, I've paid a little bit of attention to like the fourth, fifth round nose tackle types because the Steelers might be in that market. And there's five names there that might be okay. You know, the pure run stuffers that are you can get at a value this year. Um, you know, guys like Davis that you mentioned from Bama is very interesting too. Maybe his best days are ahead of him. I would give the class overall, though, a C plus, B minus, maybe a B if I'm feeling generous. Yeah, those top two guys really help out the class, but after that, a whole bunch of question marks. Mm-hmm. And really, the defensive line on the edge is not much different. There's there's a top-heavy dude, well, and, then, and, then and then a lot of question marks. We'll get into the edge class later this week. We'll get into the AFC and NFC West post-free agency, and of course, Friday is the kickoff of the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft Special. Be back tomorrow right here. We're Locked on fire. On NFL. Yeah, we're, we're on fire. It's a crazy week, <laughs> and it's just going to get crazier. I uh, can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. The, the If you guys haven't listened to it, if you didn't hear it last year, you got to tune into the Mock Draft Special. It's going to be super fun. Oh, Everybody in the network involved. Absolutely. It's going to be even bigger this year, too. College hosts getting involved, doing vignettes on players. Uh, every team picking for the team they cover here on the network. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. It all kicks off. Friday right here, Locked on NFL.